Anime on the Sea to Sky. It's been a nice couple of days leading in towards the rest of the week since we've been getting a lot of sunshine over here on the west coast, although we're going to be looking for a lot of rain in towards the rest of it, but I'm kind of glad I was able to go through and get all of my errands and stuff done in the meantime. I mean, I was able to go down and visit a farmer's market to find some cookies from YVR that I haven't been able to find since October, and these are just like the size of pucks, very Canadian-style cookies, where it's just, you do see those where they're not necessarily cooked all the way through, they're still a little bit soft on the inner, where they just had enough time in the oven to get them at least a proper form, but then you still have to chuck them into the microwave for another 30 seconds, just so you can at least get everything a little less uh, dense towards the rest of it. Otherwise, it's going to be a very crunchy and crumbly cookie that doesn't necessarily help you in either way. Also, most of them have fillings, because, I mean, God, one of them's a triple chocolate brownie with fudge in the middle. There's a Dunkaroo-inspired style one with frosting, score, peanut butter, cookie mix. It's just, oh my goodness, the whole nine yards, all of them have been phenomenal. And there's, oh, and a tiramisu cheesecake cookie. It's just so delicious. They still do deliver around BC, but that's about it, because it's incredibly tough to find these guys, because sure, they've got a bakery, but they don't have a storefront. They don't have a place that you can physically go to visit. It's just something that you have to go through and order online. Unfortunately, if you order online, the prices are like one and a half times the amount that you would actually get them in person, but they only go to like a limited handful of events, like once every two weeks. So it's incredibly difficult to like get them and track them down there. And then on top of the shipping, you're also going to be looking at about like 11 to $12 a cookie, which to be fair, they are good enough to be that one, but it's also a little more difficult, especially when you're going through and trying to get somebody into that where you have to, like, buy a batch to make the entire experience worth it. But, uh, okay, I'm getting off on a tangent for cookies. They're just so damn good. Most of this week is kind of going to be looking towards a couple of updates, a roadmap of what's going to be happening at least over the next two months or so, considering I'm going to feel like I can try something out. I've got enough lined up in a backlog, and especially with the amount of time that I'm going to be getting as these things pop up, might have the, give me the opportunity to go back and do something more along the lines of what I was doing when I ended up starting this podcast to a potential weekly update. But I'm getting too ahead of myself, but we'll, but I'm getting ahead of myself, so at least now we'll just jump to the news. And a lot of it is revolving around Crunchyroll. I, specifically for the next year, am not going to have too much trouble with this, because even though I haven't had a Crunchyroll account for years... Thankfully, I was able to take place in a quiz that happened on the R Anime subreddit, and I was able to come in second, and that was able to give me a full year subscription to Crunchyroll, which wouldn't necessarily sound a lot a handful of weeks ago, but now considering that Funimation is going to be merging, and the app is going to be disappearing and shutting down, and a handful of things are just going to be lost to time since they haven't completely merged and compiled their entire libraries, and they're going to be punching Crunchyroll's, I think, Canadian subscription up to like $95 a year? I guess that gives me a little bit more of a deal, considering what I was able to win, but in all honesty, I would have liked the $100 Sentai Filmworks gift card, because at least that would give me a variety of something that I would actually want to buy and use. But yeah, it's... I... Because the fact that Crunchyroll is now under Sony and under that conglomerate, and now has Funimation... Like, because Funimation was already under Sony... But the merging between that is going to have Crunchyroll battling against, well, not really battling High Dive. High Dive is hanging on by a thread, being able to take pieces of the niches that they already have to at least keep them afloat, even though I do really support their stuff. But it's like Crunchyroll, High Dive, Amazon Prime, Netflix, 
Hulu and Disney Plus. Like it's it I understand because they need some some little bit more capital to like stand up to the big boys, but like come on man. There is no with all the big boys, there's not really anything. It's just more opportunities for them to not have a monopoly. It's just they give the illusion that it is a competitive market and so the bidding wars can at least make the services better for the consumer but now that these guys have gotten so fucking big that's just completely out of the question and we are going to be feeling nothing but pain from them over the next couple of years i'm not necessarily too curious about this one but considering that i know that a few people who ended up watching the anime back in 2014 2015 or so uh but that parasite is going to be getting a korean live action adaptation and that's kind of an interesting jump towards the rest of it it kind even though it's been 10 years since the anime come out and that anime was 20 years after the manga that it was based on finished it's still kind of crazy how that's the one that some people are still consistently hanging on to and how they're going to be continuously adapting as the live action anime not necessarily boom is going to be like coming into fruition i do think that a medium that's going to be getting much better live-action adaptations for the 2020s is going to be video games, especially with what we've seen from The Last of Us and, to a lesser extent, D&D. I think that One Piece is definitely an outlier to that one, because it's very rare for a product that massive to still receive a proper adaptation that they deserve. And surprisingly enough, it did end up working out with them in the end, as they're going to be getting a second season, and they have been able to get People who have never even heard of One Piece, like, into the medium as a whole, and so now they have so many other options to choose from. Because anime live-action will be another trend, or it will be something that is also going to be major, just like how comic book and superheroes were in the 2010s. Although I just don't think that anime and manga is going to be coming to the live-action in such a smooth transition until they get a couple more years of experience under their belt, so... I'm probably going to say 2020s are the decade for video games, and then 2030s are going to be the ideal live-action anime adaptation era, but only time will tell. I kind of don't really know. I'm not exactly too interested, though, in this next one, uh, Sorairo Utility, because it was a small, like, 15-minute OVA about these three girls who were learning how to play golf. And I was, I think this was one of the first things that, where I was like, holy fuck, there is no way I can finish this at one time speed. Is there any way that I could do this faster? Because, look, I played golf for years and years and years, and I can still tell you that it is one of the most boring spectator sports imaginable. Even the, with this, with the 15 minute anime, I was bored to tears all the way through. The only way that they were able to make that enjoyable and watchable is because they took just the idea or the sport of golf and gave it the most campy 90s action flick twist inside of Birdie Wing. And so they were able to make that engaging, hilarious, and exciting for a sport that is not at all fun to watch. And even for somebody getting into golf, it is not fun to play either. It <laughs> Golf is so fucky in the way that it takes so much longer for you to be even relatively decent at it, but then even on top of the time investment that you have to put in, the capital investment that you need for a set of clubs is also astronomically high, also leading into the driving range fees, also leading in, like, even if you don't buy your own clubs, you have rental fees, you have range fees, you have literal, uh, like, 
tea times that you have to book and pay for consistently in order for you to get enough practice on major courses, it is incredibly difficult to just get into golf. And I don't think that even somebody who has played golf for a while is going to find, like, any real enjoyment. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, no, look at all these cute girls going through and learning golf and being friendly and, like, striving to be better. It's kind of like, I get that. It is not... If if golf... The only way that this would be, like, interesting or potentially good is that they ended up using, very much like Ping Pong did, using golf as a backdrop to either influence a slice of life or a drama story or something that at least gives somebody something else to do and something else to connect with. Because if you have golf as your main standpoint and your main connection to get to any of these girls or anything inside of the story, you're going to be vastly disappointed because golf, very much like learning the sport, is boring and tough to get into and let alone even watch and enjoy. So I'll... Uh, it's it's going to be done by Studio Yostar, which at this point is just a glorified promotional video game animation studio, considering that they've done animations for Azure Lane, they've done animations for Ark Knights, Riona, Holy Knight, Blue Archive, just all of these gotcha video game properties that they've been mostly animating. Considering that, yes, they did have like one or two things that were on their own, but the vast majority of the things for them to pay the bills for them to make their own projects is just all gotcha stuff. It's all video games. And odds are, whether if you played gotchas or not, you've seen either their show or their CDs or their animations and stuff like that. It's, it's definitely nothing new, but I don't know. It's definitely going to be something that I won't prioritize. I will give it an episode or two because it is golf, because it is something I play. I highly doubt this is going to be turning any heads. Although something that I was curious about that I just learned popped up today is that Bones, on top of their 25th anniversary with Metallic Rouge that is airing this season, they also have a about 100 minute long documentary about their uh, 25 years as a studio that is now all streaming on Crunchyroll. And so I would definitely go and give that a recommendation considering that Bones has always been a part of either major releases or very niche stuff and experimental, but always a major part of the animation industry in the 21st century. And so their effect has definitely been something that you have either felt or seen or had the opportunity to experience. So I would definitely go and find the opportunity to give that a watch. Although it definitely seems like Tatsuki Fujimoto, along with his success with Chainsaw Man, is all of his stuff big or small, is going to be getting adapted. Odds are at some point in the 2020s, because they he ended up uh, having a one-shot manga, like a two 250-page uh, short story, basically written out, called Look Back, and that is going to be getting an anime film that will be coming out in Japan on June 28th, which is kind of crazy to me, where it's just, yeah, Fujimoto, in his breaks, which to me was crazy because... Honestly, my favorite side work of his, because uh, I know he's in Fire Punch. Fire Punch was like crazy in its own variety of ways. Look Back is going to be a good movie. Like probably just about the 90 minute mark. I don't, which is kind of why I was expecting it to be like a one or two episode OVA. Because I thought they said, oh yeah, it's, it's getting an anime in the beginning. It's like, there's no fucking way there is enough content in Look Back for you to make an animation. It's like, okay, it's going to be filmed. It's like, all right. Uh, this should probably be about 
yeah, like not even 90, call it like 75, 80 minutes. Like this, if you want it to be the right amount of time, it should just be like a sub hour and a half run just for it to have enough breathing room to expand upon some of the smaller ideas that he made inside of his short story, but then not long enough for it to be extensively dragged out and for people to get bored. I mean, you're definitely not going to be bored for sure in any of Tatsuki Fujimoto's work, but I'm definitely curious to see now that this has been in production for much longer than we would have expected, definitely going off of the hype about how huge Chainsaw Man was. Although I am definitely curious to see if the what the reception of this is going to be, because if you want to go in blind or if you want to go uh, read look back in either physical copy or digital, it is all like done. He basically just... I can't remember when he dropped this. Hold on. Yeah, because he before he even did Fire Punch, he had a handful of one-shots for Sense of Justice, Paper Planes, Clucking Chickens, Kicking in the Schoolyard, which is like, what the fuck? <laughs> Sasaki stopped the bullet, Love is Blind. This dude has been like making short stories like long before he became an established name. Because it wasn't until he had Fire Punch, which kind of brought people into his works, and then, like, Chainsaw Man since 2018 has put him on the map. And then in the middle of uh, Chainsaw Man parts 1 and 2, in a gap, he had about two years or so where, like, we didn't necessarily know if he was taking a break or if he was trying to expand upon what Chainsaw Man was going to become. I honestly thought that you could have just ended Chainsaw Man at part 1 and you still would have had, like, a really good open-closed story about a dude who just wants a better life with everything denying him the chance to do so. And then in between, so it's like, okay, I'm going to plan Chainsaw Part 2. So I'm going to plan Chainsaw Man Part 2. In between that, I'm also going to write Look Back and Goodbye, Airy, As well as, which, like, just before, and then, uh, what was it? The most recent short story he did was one of his shorter works called Just Listen to the Song. I thought that was kind of one of his weaker, most recent ones, but it really did get me in the end. Goodbye, Airy is probably his best short story by far. And judging on the fact that it's like, oh, wow, so Look Back is going to be getting a film adaptation. Odds are Goodbye, Airy is also going to get one as well. And that is going to be something that has me extremely excited because Goodbye, Airy is probably one of the better filmic short stories that I have like seen, period. He does a really good job at essentially managing your perspective very much like Satoshi Kon, and with the back catalog of film knowledge that he's been able to go through and consume and experience over the course of his life, it was definitely something that kind of just coalesced into this work about loss and people and how you're able to be inspired. It was definitely, like, one of the best ones. So it's not being done by MAPPA. The look-back adaptation is not being done by MAPPA. It is just a smaller company that has been given, you know, production assistance to Doraemon, Fully Cooly Shoegaze, uh, a, a little bit of Decadence, Boy and the Heron as well. They did a little bit of production assistance, but it's the Flip Flappers director. So I'm really curious to see how they're going to be able to adapt this and what it's going to be looking like moving on into the future. As because it's Takatsuki Fujimoto and because we're only it's only six months into the year, well, at the end of the six months, because odds are we're going to get this uh, coming out to the West by the end of the year, for sure. Especially because of the priority and because it's Fujimoto and his worldwide success. This is definitely something that we're going to be getting sooner rather than later. And then a very nice little uh, like touch on top of that is just uh, 
yeah, like Pokemon Concierge, it was really fun. I really did enjoy my time there. And Netflix has already announced that they're going, they've already started production on a handful of new episodes. So yeah, really happy about that. Although another thing that I would want to add is that I did recently, I really wish I found, or this guy had made this video before I made uh, my episode 69 for sure, because this would have been like a great catalog of information for me to add to the history of Rule 34, and that is Lex Torius. He is easily, like, one of my favorite YouTubers, or my, or one of my new favorite YouTubers that I ended up finding, because he's just got so many good videos on different topics, different qualities, different industries, different terms, different mediums, different shows, different, like, just everything. He's able to cover the, his bases on so many different pieces of media inside a lot of these other industries and give a pretty good, unique perspective on how he's able to go through, or at the very least, get you much more informed than you would have been expected. Because, I mean, to top it all off, you have most of the history behind CD Projekt Red and what Cyberpunk was towards the rest of it. One's on video game monetization anime fan service and how it's changed and what its perspective and priorities are coming into the future, the history on anime waifus, game remakes, the question of how you tackle video game piracy, and then finally the one that ended up bringing me to his channel, the real history of Rule 34, which is incredibly informative and such a phenomenal deep dive into, like, not even what it was like in the 2010s and how a lot of that evolved, but what led those people in the first place to make those in the early ages of the internet and even before that. So it's arguably like one of my favorite mini documentary style videos I've seen in a long while. So literally go give Lex Torius a try. He is a phenomenal find for sure. And then two other major announcements. I'm pretty sure uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, I might've already referenced it before, but now it's definitely going to be interesting because as of the time of this recording, as well as trying to get this episode out today, it's coming out in two days. It's coming out on Thursday, February 22nd. And I don't know. I need to double check to see if it's going to be a weekly release or if Netflix is going to do its standard thing with almost every other show that they have, which is just going to be throwing it all out there immediately and kind of seeing where it all lands. If... So I'm trying to think. I'm looking at this through the lens of, say, so 40 minutes. If every episode is going to be 40 minutes, then odds are they will be able to adapt the entire first book in probably eight episodes. There's a lot of trimming the fat that you can do. Honestly, for Avatar The Last Airbender, the first book to me is probably the weakest, considering that you have... A really strong start, a really strong middle, like just the middle episodes, and then a really strong finish. So it's just about eight great episodes and then two six-episode chunks separating all three of these pieces in the middle that they didn't know what to do. So they padded out whichever pieces they needed in order to at least have the opportunity to make this 20 episodes because it doesn't introduce as much world building as we would like and it only gives like tiny snippets of information towards the rest so i would say eight 40 minute episodes is probably the perfect amount 
for them to be able to go through and adapt all of book one. So I'm really curious to see how this is going to be leading through. Odds are, because it's the animated fan community, everybody's going to hate it. Like, everybody is going with either expectations that this is going to be a travesty and another failed adaptation of Avatar The Last Airbender, and other people are just looking at it and saying, oh my god, this is the adaptation that we've always wanted. I legitimately can't wait. I've been waiting for over a decade for this kind of thing to happen. I've been shunned and shamed ever since I saw the M. Night Shyamalan adaptation all those years ago, and I've never emotionally recovered, so I'm really expecting this to completely knock my socks off and be the animated adaptation that I've always believed that Avatar could be. And you just need to take at least 20% off there, bud. Just, I legitimately have no expe expectations for this show. It is so, it's not below the floor. My expectations are on the floor. I'm not expecting this to be in any range towards the rest. I just want them to hit the proper notes that the first book did and give proper priority and time and effort to those specific scenes inside of it, which of course I can't be specific because I don't necessarily want to spoil, but as long as they get the initial chunk done right and they're able to get people invested in it for them to finish the entire book, if they are able to adapt the storm and if they are able to then properly transition into what we get at the North Pole, then I am definitely going to be excited with what they're able to do. Because... It's the same deal as One Piece, because Avatar The Last Airbender has been a well-known franchise for years and years and years. Definitely not an escape of One Piece, but definitely this is going to be the first time it's been given this amount of time and effort on a live-action adaptation. At the end of the day, if it brings in new people who have never been invested in Avatar before, but they saw the Netflix live-action, and they got excited, and they enjoyed it, and they liked it, well, then odds are you have a lot of good stuff to point them towards... Or if they want to be patient, then it's like, okay, if you and a lot of other people liked it as much as you do, then odds are Netflix will go and take this and have the opportunity to give it two more seasons. And at the end of the day, that's honestly all we're looking for, because it can't, it doesn't have to be a perfect adaptation, It does, especially with book one. All it needs to be is a nice, smooth, energetic adaptation to get people invested into this show then you can really shine with books two and three. That's kind of all you need to do. And then besides Airbender, getting back to animation, we do have an official release date for the second half of Invincible Season 2, and that is going to be on March 14th. And I am also extremely curious. So this was basically four months after the end of the first half of the second season. Four months, so about the same time that a lot of us weebs wait for a season, about ten weeks, I don't believe, because this is what I don't believe, if we have already waited this long for the second season, why couldn't they have just held it for those four months? Which I understand, time is money, they need to quote-unquote remind people that Invincible is still a good show that exists, and I am using my fingers to put heavy, heavy air quotes into, it is a show that exists, and it's just like, do you, I get it. The creative industry is incredibly oversaturated, especially when it comes to animated productions at this point, and you want to have your property, which was a surprise success, to get back out into the cultural mainstream as quickly as possible, just so it is inside of their collective conscious that Invincible is still a thing. 
I four months is not even close to a long drag or a wait that people have to go through. This is always the argument that I don't understand, where it's kind of like, look, you, I understand, time is money, there's a budget, there's a production that needs to go through and consistently be run efficiently, so you're not wasting time and money and resources on this specific project, so anybody who is watching their investment is kind of like, yes, but I, I put the money in for this production to go, I want it to get out as soon as possible. I get that. You've already invested this much money to get this thing made in the first place, but you're going to put only four episodes out, less than a month, it'll be in the collective consciousness for less than a month, and then you're going to delay it for four months, which is totally understandable. I'm not marking down the animators or any part of the production staff, because animation is really, really fucking hard. It, it takes a lot of time and dedication and passion for these to get through. And especially because of how much more mainstream animation has been coming, there's a lot more deadlines and a lot more expectations for people in a lot of these productions to go through and shine. But what the top line, what the investors and the producers at the top of it need to go, it's kind of like, dude, you need somebody to just walk up to you and say, we are patient. We are the the vocal, no, the it's the vocal minority that is asking, when is it coming out? When is it coming out? We need Invincible. We want season two. We want it now. We need this to go out yesterday. And it's just, that's what I also dislike is that, dude, you are living in a creative age where you have so much good content being made across every medium. Great films, great shows, great games. You are not going to be slighted or mistreated if a show that you really enjoyed is going to be delayed for four to six months. You have, I can assure you, you have so much on your backlog to catch up or to rewatch or to do something else, but there is no reason to ask all of these animators and artists and people who are trying to get this production out the door, where is it? I'm impatient, I'm waiting. It's like, you do understand that these things take time. And you have seen so many pieces in film, in TV, in games, that rushing anything is going to severely degrade the product that is made, and then you're going to be angry that it's that you're waiting, and then you're going to be angry that it's unfinished when it gets put out, and then you're just going to still be angry regardless about what next product is going to be around, and then you're going to be angry at them, and then you're going to blow up at them on social media, and then you're going to make them feel like garbage, and then you're just going to forget about the entire drama and the rest of it and move on to another piece of media within a week. And so all you've done is harass and degrade all of the hardworking people that ended up making the thing that you enjoyed, and you have little but nothing shit to say to them. And then the cycle just goes to continue, because it is not their fault. It is the deadlines and the constraints and the crunch in every creative industry that is happening right now that is the reason for the majority of these things to either fail or not live up to the astronomic expectations that every quote-unquote fan of this work has been going through and setting themselves up for. Yeah, so sorry about that tangent, because it's just, I don't know, everything related to this is all just down to patience especially with how overworked and understaffed a lot of these productions are 
regardless of where they are in the world, regardless of it's animated or live action or just anything. There is so much crunch and there is so much strife and pain for these productions to get made in the first place. Because nobody wants to make a bad product. Nobody sets out to make a bad product. They just set out to try and match the guideline, the expectations that they have been set up so they can at least get this project done. And so I guess back to my major point is that I still don't believe that it was a proper choice for them to delay Invincible Season 2 by four months, or the second half by four months, just so they can keep it in the consciousness of, of the mainstream. Because, dude, we remember. We know how good Invincible is, and we know how good it's going to be when it comes out. So just do it properly, and if you know that there's going to be delays, then just don't do this weird half-and-half -half split bullshit. Just give it the proper time that we were already going to be waiting for anyways, and give it all to us within that within those eight weeks. That's all. Like, there is no reason for that. That's all we need to go and rush. So then I guess the last thing I want to talk about going towards the rest is I was finally able to go through and catch up on a Marvel property for the first time in months. Because I haven't been... It's been quite a while since anything that's been going through or coming out. Like, in terms of 2022, I only watched Moon Knight. I didn't watch Miss Marvel. I didn't watch She-Hulk. Multiverse of Madness was weak, Love and Thunder was weak, Wakanda Forever was fine, it was better than the others, but I can't necessarily support too much of that. I didn't watch Echoes, and I also didn't watch the Marvels. Like, it's just, I can't, it's tough to keep up with just all of it as of late. Um, but I really did enjoy Loki Season 1, and because of the Deadpool 3 Super Bowl ad, seeing the TVA in that ad, I'm like, okay, if so if there's anything that I actually need to keep up to a movie that I do want to watch, is that, all right, Loki season two has been up for months. I finally need to go through and give it a watch because if the TVA is involved, then might as well be caught up all on Loki just to see the rest of it. And I really did enjoy this second season. It has been quite a while. I do think that it would have just been a little better for me to at least re-watch the final episode of season one, because after it being out for quite a few years, and then immediately, like, there is no gap. Jumping in between season one and two, you are basically immediately thrown back into the new conflict that just got reintroduced, because there is just no gap between the time of season one and two. Like, you are just consistently moving forward. And it's like, the journey that Loki goes through, which in this case would have only been like a handful of days in real time, is just crazy. And so at the very least, at the end, just at the end of this episode, um, I will be spoiling a few major points for Loki Season 2. At, I do recommend going to watch this blind, because I really did enjoy the second season, and I really think that... It was a proper Disney production that actually was given the time to go through and be fleshed out leading into the future. So now for my thoughts on the second season, it, it is crazy thinking about Loki's journey since, what, Thor 2009-2010 to where he is now is fucking insane. 
especially on top of that fact where just the alternate version or the alternate timeline version of him in this immediately goes through the trauma and the rebirth and the evolution of his character in the first season and it's still he just immediately gets thrown back into the fire with a new set of villains and a new conflict and something new that he has to go and try to solve towards the rest of this. And so the fact that he ended up going through, like for us, it was only like a handful of days. Loki went through centuries of development and strife and trial. Now that he is a Time Lord, I guess, that you would be able to go through, considering that he had this opportunity with the time slipping that he was able to acquire because it was with the specific people that he has grown to love and become friends with and just having that a group that he never had in the movies, not even with his own brother. His brother was very short-lived with his, with his relationship there. That's what led to the sacred timeline Loki's death. But this Loki seeing what more he could have done and what he ended up becoming at the end of this season to me was fucking insane where it's just if he can't break the cycle then he will just reinvent the re the wheel he will remake this system in his own creation to let all of these different timelines just have a chance just have the opportunity to live rather than be pruned and lost to the void. And that ultimate choice, his choice of what burden he decides to take on at the end of this season to become the Lord of the Timelines and hold them all together using his own power to create a form of Yggdrasil that will give all of the other Timelines a chance to live, but ultimately for just him to be alone after he finally was able to fall in love and to finally have the opportunity to have a family and friends that he never had to begin with a true family that he was able to coexist a true family that he was able to just interact and bounce off and just grow a proper relationship with them the fact that even though now he was able to finally find the family that he had always been hoping he could find, but to choose to give them a chance to live at the expense of his own isolation is what a phenomenal like setup and what a great choice. The Just the middle with everything revolving around Timely was a little bit of a stretch, and we definitely get why all of those had to be done, especially in the time loops for all of the going back and forth between the rest of it to make sense. But I did also really find myself impressed by Loki, especially with the first and the second season of his conversation with He Who Remains being two halves of the same conversation, but him going back and having the opportunity to control his time slipping and to be on the same level as he who remains was a phenomenal evolution and just display of like not even a display of power a display of knowledge and the fact that he is now on equal footing but he is given that choice where it's kind of like okay well either you have to keep going back and watching your friends die because it's all going to lead back to me 
and I don't need to be reborn. I just need you specifically to come back and to keep my life and to keep the loom running. And he decides to choose neither. And so I love that final piece about now where Loki sits inside of the entire cinematic universe. I was liking a lot of the banter and seeing how the rest of them go back and forth. Miss Minutes was definitely terrifying in a few scenes where the fact that she just loves watching torture and gore and horrific stuff happened and seeing her get reset only to jump back initially to just say you will never be him was such a chilling final line for her inside of the story there's just it's like all the minuscule moments that happen inside of this show it does take it is a bit of a drag to get from one point towards the rest but the strengths and the overall end game i guess that this show was able to do for loki Definitely more than enough justified it's in the writer's existence for this show. And so I would, it's, it was such a great thing to finally catch back up on and get to. So I guess I'll finally be able to go through and be excited for Deadpool 3. So that'll definitely be something that I'm looking forward to. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the episode, the next two months are definitely going to be interesting. There are going to be a couple of changes. I'm going to be going back up the sea to sky a couple of times. I'm going to become a hermit for the first time in a few years again and so i'm definitely curious to see how the rest of that's going to go and if i can even make that happen even though i have a backlog of more than enough ideas for me to keep that show running but it's all definitely going to be a time and place i'll have like a, at least a handful of different news articles depending on like how big busy of a news week it's going to be to kind of see if i can condense those ideas into proper episodes but at the very least it seems like i'm going to have quite a bit of time on my hands to see what I'm going to be able to do and where this and where I'm going to be in the spring for quite a few things but yep we're just gonna have to wait and see how the rest of that plays out so cheers have a good one